0: Welcome to Fire and Security Chat, brought to you by Corson Fire and Security, where we talk about the technology and equipment used to protect and secure life and property. I'm your host, Aaron Whitaker, and today I'm with Brian Smith, Director of Security at Corson Fire and Security. All right, today's topic is cybersecurity and security cameras. It seems like, you know, every day you turn on the news, there's a story about some system being hacked, uh, whether Absolutely. it's uh, cell phones, computers, smart home devices, Wi-Fi routers, or security cameras. Um, while you know, I think most people kind of know the how people get into computers and cell phones. It tends to be, uh, you know, the user who accidentally lets their system be hacked through malware they right. download or email attaches attachments or links they click, uh, but I'm more, you know, we're kind of focusing on the security camera aspect, and you hear, it's, you know, smart home security systems, smart home systems, uh, security cameras being hacked. Uh, how does that, how does it happen?
1: Sure, well, there's a couple of different hacks that you may hear about. A lot of the the hacking or the uh, vulnerabilities that you hear about in a lot of cases are what we call white hat hackers that are actually out and their, their full-time job is to to attempt to exploit exploit vulnerabilities and systems to gain access to them so that they can have manufacturers repair those, those vulnerabilities so that somebody else can't get in maliciously. So a lot of times in the news, uh, some of these things that you'll hear about are simply white hat events that are, are uh, made public once the repair has been made. So, the, the life cycle of that would be somebody would find a vulnerability, they would report it to the manufacturer, give the manufacturer X amount of time to, to repair that vulnerability before they go public with it, and then if, uh, if everything aligns, then the, the fix is made before it goes public, and then there's a public release that a vulnerability was found, and, and this is what the manufacturer has done to repair that vulnerability, so it's more of a uh, notification uh, hacking, so it lets consumers know that hey, this was you know this was found. Here's how it's fixed, and here's the firmware release to you know to update the fix. Now, in in, in occasion, you hear about the um, the botnets and, and things that were uh, that had exploited different vulnerabilities that were discovered possibly by black hat black. Black hat hackers mm-hmm. um, that were actually uh, trying to do malicious activities, and really from from that side, it's somebody finding a vulnerability in in a piece of software someplace, or uh, exploiting a manufacturer's tool, or something to that degree. And uh, they may be doing one of two things: they may be trying to uh, trying to utilize the manufacturer's horsepower or resources of the processors uh, as we saw with a lot of the uh, the embedded linux devices you heard about routers and in uh, certain manufacturers NVRs and DVRs that were hacked there really wasn't any data breach there it was more of a, a malicious activity to use the uh, the um, high power processors that are in those devices mm-hmm. to to mine bitcoin and and things like that so they're using the processor power they're, they're hacking the devices using the processor power to their advantage and then the other type of malicious hacking would be to, to uh, try to export data. So and that's where you see corporations would be concerned about trade secrets and things like that, that if somebody were to get into their network, that they would be able to retrieve sensitive information, personal information. They could use that personal information to then in turn do a phishing attack against the employees. So uh, there's stages to that, that, you know, that they could incorporate multiple aspects to, uh, you know, to gain access to, to a company. So it's not like there's just one way to to hack a system. There's multiple reasons to, to hack different systems and and multiple degrees that somebody might take that hack uh, to, to gain information. So um, it's important for us to, to keep everything as locked down as we can to avoid any step in that process. If you break any part of that chain makes it much more infinitely uh, more difficult for somebody to, to actually get any real world benefit out of, out of that attempt.
0: Okay. Okay. So what, you know, you kind of describe the two things that a hacker is after when they hack into a into a security camera or smart home. It's it's either to use the processor speed uh, to you know you talked about Bitcoin and mining and stuff like that, or to access data in the system beyond the the smart home system. How what are the mistakes, I guess, what are the common mistakes that people make to allow their cameras, or I guess to allow the data, let's get to that first, to allow the data to be accessed?
1: So to allow data to be accessed is typically going to be a secondary or a second phase of the attack. The, the primary attack typically is going to be to access the device in a lot of these cases, if it's let's say a hardened Linux device, they may have access to the information that's contained within that individual device. If the customer uses their personal email and a password that they normally use to access uh, their banking information or their their mm-hmm. work information, then that could give the hacker uh, certainly some some relevant details into that person's life that they could use against them then potentially in a phishing attack or something to gain more information. And maybe they, they send them an email to that email address and that email contains a piece of malware um, or something on it that would then install itself on the end user's computer and then from that point they have full control over their computer and they can see every keystroke and they can access every file on their computer. So you can see that that can es- escalate very, very quickly. One of the things that uh, you know that a customer can do to protect themselves, obviously, a customers not going to be able to know every potential vulnerability that that may exist within a, in a device, and uh, you know if that's exploited, you know, they're going to be victim to the manufacturer's efforts. But uh, they can certainly protect themselves to some degree by making sure that they're using secure passwords and and that they're not putting. Devices out on the edge of a network, meaning that they don't have access to wide area network, you know, unnecessarily. So uh, there, there are devices that um, access the network. Let's say your doorbell. If you have a Wi-Fi doorbell, for instance, and you know those cases, that device is going to register itself on the the customer's network, and it's going to talk out through the network to a secure server. Uh, you're typically not going to have a situation where the customer is going to open up their firewall, which is the the piece of software that protects their home network from the outside world. They're not typically going to open up their firewall to allow traffic into their home network to access that, you know, that doorbell. So, uh, you know, hopefully that device is secure. The manufacturer has done a good job of securing it and or if there are vulnerabilities discovered that that device is updated the firmware is updated from either from the manufacturer or from a notice from the manufacturer of the customer that they need to update it so that uh, somebody can't exploit that vulnerability. but uh, you know you have in the terms of IP cameras in a you know, commercial facility for instance, you may have something where the customer is trying to access their cameras remotely and they may be actually opening, opening up ports on their firewall to, to uh, allow traffic inside of their network to that box. Now, the firewall helps protect the rest of the network from any unsolicited attacks, but if a hacker uh, or one of these script kiddies that run uh, you know, pre-configured software to, to gain access to you know, many, many devices at once, they're potentially going to open up their firewall to to allow themselves access to a device within their network. Now that may open up a vulnerability to that one device. So if they, let's say, they open up uh, port 5000 on their network uh, to allow access to a video system, now that that port on their firewall is accepting traffic. And if somebody from the other side of the world decides that uh, they're going to scan IP addresses and they get a response on 5000, Uh, off of a customer's network, then all of a sudden, they know that there's a a doorway that they can potentially breach to get into that network somehow. Mm -hmm. To what level they can access things is based on the the equipment, typically. But they will continue to possibly hit that that port on the network, trying different passwords to get into that device. So if it's a known port, uh, they may keep trying. If they know that 5000 is manufacturer A, then they may try manufacturer A's username and password, you know, default username and password. And if the customer uh, did not change the default password, then that gives them very quick, easy access into the device. And then it's only up to the abilities of the device within the network to restrict uh, where they can go. So if it's a Windows machine, uh, that could be very dangerous because they could very easily talk, you know, amongst other Windows devices within the network. If it's an embedded Linux device, uh, it may be a lot more difficult because those those devices are hardened and they're more compartmentalized. So, if a hacker did get into one of those, again, they could use the processor resources potentially, or but they're typically not going to be able to scale through a network, uh, you know, to extract data. So, um, the easiest thing that a customer can do, or the best thing that a customer can do, would be to protect themselves uh, by using secure passwords and and passwords that are not replicated elsewhere in their lives. So, you know, if it's if it's your, your home banking information, maybe you have specific passwords for that. If it's your work, you have some passwords for that. Mm-hmm. If it's your uh, IP video system, you have passwords for that, and nothing matches. That way, you know, you, you, you keep those walls, those boundaries up in case somebody does get access to something. It, it makes the, the repairing of that situation a lot
0: easier and a lot faster. Okay, so when they, when they get into the, say, they, they find port 5000 you were discussing in mm-hmm. the video camera network surveillance, and you, they can get into the rest of your network, is, is there an idea, is there should you split, make sure that it's, each network is isolated, so like your data, your servers for your company is on one network, your uh, security systems on a different network. I mean, is there any Yeah, absolutely. Best practice
1: would dictate that um, as much as possible, you isolate segments of your network, and that holds true with IP video as well. So anytime we go into a customer, we want to talk about creating that isolation uh, between the video network and their network. Um, for mainly two reasons one bandwidth uh, IP video uses a lot of bandwidth on a network so okay. if you're if you're traversing a customer's network with IP video in a lot of cases any sizable system uh, you know we do many systems that are 60 100 200 300 cameras uh, you know that puts a massive impact and can actually max out a, a traditional network so you know one reason you want to keep that uh, isolated is just sheer bandwidth the second reason is for security. If uh, if any part of that is compromised, you want to contain and compartmentalize that as much as possible. So by creating an isolated physical network, you know if anything is accessed, that would help keep it separated. Um, the other thing that that do it does is it really puts uh, you know if if we put a, let's say we build a uh, an IP video system and we put the cameras all on an isolated network. Nobody really can access that network from any place in the world or within the customer's network. That isolated network would physically have to be connected to in order to access those cameras and to possibly exploit those vulnerabilities. So now we can use physical security measures, door monitors and things like that on, on IT closets and you know, IDFs and MDFs to to protect that infrastructure to keep somebody from accessing those switches. And then it keeps it relatively secure because there's really no way to access or exploit those. And then uh, when we we create the isolated video network, uh, the recorder for that network either stands by itself on that network or if it does interface with the customer's network for remote view or something like that, uh, it's only one point of contact. So there's only one touch point from that video system then to the customer's network. So it's it's much more controllable and, and much more visible in terms of what kind of traffic is happening, locking down permissions to access that within the customer's network. And if they do access, let's see, um, somebody does get into the customer's network and they're able to identify where the NVR is on that network. They'd have very limited access to what they would be able to do with that NVR. Of course, they could compromise potentially the the video solution, you know, turn off cameras, things like that. But you know, that's they would effectively be stopped at that device or that uh, you know that that NVR. So you know, certainly best practice to keep things isolated internally. Yeah, another, you know, another best practice. You know, we talked about. Porting of a firewall and using secure passwords to protect you in that that circumstance, but um, you know, porting of a firewall is is actually at the the low end of the preferred uh, you know solution uh, range, and we really try to get customers to if they're going to do any sort of remote access, uh, meaning that they're going to open their system up to the outside world, mm-hmm. we really want to see them use a VPN. A virtual private network is a piece of software that connects whatever remote device to the internal network through an encrypted connection. And it's a very secure connection. So if you're, if your company's running a, a Cisco network uh there's Cisco switches and Cisco routers are going to have uh, a Cisco VPN uh, mm-hmm. capability. And, um, and so long as the customer subscribes to that through, through Cisco, for instance, and there's a bunch of them out there, there's even some free VPNs, but you know, that creates a secure connection from, the end user's device to their network so you don't have to open those vulnerabilities so somebody from across the world can bang on that firewall all day long and they're not going to get through because the firewall is totally locked down except for that encrypted vpn connection so that would be a, a priority for anybody that's remotely accessing their network put a vpn in place then you have very very minimal concerns the secondary alternative to that would be to use a um, uh, cloud access functionality so a lot of these manufacturers are coming out with cloud connected or cloud managed devices mm-hmm. and in that architecture rather than poking holes in the customer's firewall to gain access uh, through a, a port and relying on a password to, to maintain your security those devices actually reach out of the customers network to uh, secure servers on an encrypted connection so those devices are registering themselves in the cloud with any number of service providers, whether it's Amazon or Windows or, or um, you know, a, a manufacturer's own server farm, uh, and and then the end users linking up with their device in the cloud um, from their phone. So everything's connecting in a secure server someplace where you know the, the architecture is constantly monitored and and updated and things like that. So uh, you know, as long as you're in a secure data center, that takes your your risk you know much lower than then, uh again trying to access through your firewall and then you know the, the third and, and what we consider to be the uh, the least secure the most risky would be the uh, port forwarding uh, the the, you know, the direct firewall access into the network and uh, you know that's where that's where the the a lot of times these devices are exploited is mm-hmm. that somebody is somebody's opened up the firewall to those devices and the only thing keeping somebody out is the password and if the password is not secure enough then of course it's not real hard to get uh, you know get access to that device. Or if there was uh, forwarding happening on the firewall, and the device itself has a vulnerability that can be exploited, then it could be possibly as simple as running a script. And once you've connected to that port, you could push a script through and it would you know allow you access to to that device. So in addition to simply uh, making sure you have secure passwords, there's definitely a couple of additional layers of protection that you can put in place with either cloud managed services or uh, VPN
0: connectivity okay. to your devices to keep you know, keep the bad guys out keep your your network secure so as you you say that port forwarding that's the worst choice that you could make for network ac- or the of lowest the, of the three it would be risk, the, yeah. it would be the
1: highest risk of the mm-hmm. of the, the the typical connectivity options um, just because you you are literally, you know, opening the door to the outside world. Mm-hmm. So, if you think about it, like the first two solutions, a VPN and cloud connectivity, my firewall is is constantly uh, in place. It's constantly closed. So my front door is closed and locked, mm-hmm. and, and and nobody's going to get through that that front door. The third solution, the port forwarding, I've basically opened my door or a window, uh, you know, to use an analogy since there's many, many ports that can be opened. But I've opened the front door, and the only thing that's keeping the bad guy out is the bouncer that's standing inside the door. So now I've hired a guy in my firewall Mm -hmm. to stand inside the front door and check people in as they come in and out. So if somebody comes up, and, uh, you know, the fake presents ID. themselves to the, to the bouncer. Yeah. yeah. Fake ID, you know, yeah. they've got the password, right. Then the bouncer says, Oh yeah, that information's over there in, in the living room. You can go yeah. over and have a seat and, uh, you know, they'll be with you in a moment. And, and that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of how they get in. So, um, you know, keeping that front door closed and locked is going to be the best, you know, situation for you. So as long as you can maintain that and, um, you know, use, um, you know, the super secret entrance, use the the VPN connection or the the cloud connection to gain access, uh, you're going to be in a lot better shape. If you have to resort because you don't have VPN access or your manufacturer doesn't have cloud connectivity and you have to resort to a, you know, to a a opening the front door and employing a bouncer, you just want to make sure that you've got a really good code word to, to keep anybody out that that shouldn't be coming in. Okay.
0: As far as consumers, like with, uh, Smart homes and smart devices and security cameras, all that stuff. Can they take these same steps that a business would take? I mean, is a
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Because I mean, I know my home. I have one one cable router that comes in and one Wi-Fi or cable modem and one Wi-Fi router, and everything connects into it. And that's probably a bad idea. If something's vulnerable on the the network you know, and not necessarily um, not necessarily a bad idea one of the major
1: exploits recently was within uh, routers it was part of uh, of a, an embedded Linux attack if I'm not mistaken and these routers that run Linux OS are able to be compromised based on some vulnerability that was found in that architecture
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, what what a lot of things or a lot of people have happened is nobody in the in a residential consumer world pays very much attention to the routers. They may get a Linksys or a Netgear or something, yeah. put it in their home and they forget about it. They they hook up their cable modem, they hook up their AT&T modem, whatever that is. And you know, they think they've got their Wi-Fi password secured and everything else and they don't realize that this router's been sitting there for 3 years and they've never done an update to it. <clears throat> so it's really important to remember that you have a touch point. you have a a device that can be compromised, that's literally operating your firewall to your house, Mm -hmm. Um, you have to pay attention to that. And and to be responsible with it, you would need to know how to log into it, you would need to know how to update the firmware on it. You know, in the case of, you know, a Linksys or a Netgear or something like that, a lot of times you can log into those routers and there'll be an update firmware button and it'll tell you if your firmware is out of date and it'll go out and find the new firmware and install it and you know everything will be fine until the next vulnerability is found, mm-hmm. and then you know there'll be another firmware. Uh, when you deal with, uh, you mentioned like Comcast or AT and T. If you're using their router, or their modem, in most cases, they're managing those devices. So okay. uh, if if you have uh, you know subscription to Comcast and they've got a you know modem that you're leasing from them on on your site, that modem is typically going to stay up to date. It's they're going to push updates to it, okay. firmware, things like that, if, as they see. You know, as they see that come out, so that's actually probably one of the better situations that you could be in. Uh, if you take it, you know, if you say, "Well, I'm not, I'm not going to pay that five dollars or ten dollars a month to lease the modem from them. You just, you just give me a gateway. You just give me a modem, and I'll put my own router in uh, mm-hmm. for my own connectivity. You got to make sure that you manage that router because. What happens then is that AT&T modem goes into bridge mode and all it does, or, you know, Comcast, whatever, all it does is pass everything that it gets through into the, into the router. So it's up to the router to stop that, that traffic, uh, you know, that's trying to get into your network. So, you know, you want to make sure that you, you stay up to date with that. Okay. Uh, and then just the same as with a commercial environment, they have, you know, I mentioned there's, there's free uh, VPN offerings out there that, that you can get. There's some that you can subscribe to. Depending on the size and scale and what you're trying to do, but uh, you know you can you can actually implement your own VPN architecture. So uh, if you're out and about and, and you've got your computer set up in a in a uh, you know coffee shop or something and you're you're using the the Wi-Fi that may or may not be very secure, mm-hmm. uh, you can actually employ that VPN to connect you to your home so that you can encrypt that uh, that connection from that internet connection to your computer so that. You don't have any worries of, of anybody uh, uh, tapping into what you're seeing or the or web pages you're going to or anything like that to possibly be able to get information uh, from you. So, as long as you're keeping your home network secure, that gives you a, a portal kind of back to your home
0: network that you can utilize to make sure that your remote connection is secure as well. Okay. The other question, or the last kind of area is all security cameras vulnerable to hacking? I mean, is it is it the security cameras? Is it the the NVRs, the video systems? Or where's the, I guess, the uh, the doorway into these things? So
1: something that we've got to recognize in the, the world of IoT is that everything is available to hacking. Um, it, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it depends on how prevalent the manufacturer is. Uh, you see in a lot of times, uh, you know, few years back, handful of years back, uh, Linksys got hit pretty hard with, with hacking. Well, they're the biggest, you know, name in, in home routers. So, you know, somebody found that it was to their advantage to invest some time in cracking, you know, in, into a, a Linksys architecture. And then they can replicate that across every Linksys router across the nation, across the world. So, you know, depending on how big a manufacturer is, can sometimes play to whether or not you see vulnerabilities come out everything is vulnerable in some regard because you know the, the the software that's written uh for these programs the software that's written to keep people out of these programs is all done by humans and we're we're all we can all make mistakes we all have errors you know there there's just a matter of time before somebody finds a way or or has the you know has the keys to exploit something uh you know there was a a very large manufacturer not too long ago that had a, a situation where somebody was able to exploit encryption within their system if if a former employee gets an encryption key uh, which is generally well protected within an organization there's only certain people that would have, have access to that information but if an employee gets any sort of encryption key or anything like that and then they're able to, uh, also find some vulnerability in a piece of software or uh, hardware. you know, it's not too difficult then to use those two things in combination to get you know, quite a bit of information. So, you know, a lot of it is a uh, you know, situation and circumstance, uh, but any anything that's out there is, is going to be vulnerable. So the best thing that, that we can do as consumers, uh, both commercially and personally, is to make sure that we stay on top of those updates and, mm-hmm. and and make sure that it's part of our responsibility to go out and, and look at the manufacturers of the, the uh, Internet of Things devices that we have connected to the network and make sure that we are running the most current firmware and, and that if there, there are known vulnerabilities that are out there, you know, that we apply the, the patches to those. Uh, there's a, a really neat website called CDE Details that uh, registers vulnerabilities across the, the world. And you can see any, you can search any number of different manufacturers and find over history, what, you know, what was the vulnerability, you know, what was the severity of the vulnerability? Because these things are all ranked from, from, you know, one to 10 Mm -hmm. and, you know, 10 being, uh, you know, basically that you could gain complete access to any information (laughs) that was on there. And then, you know, all the way down to nuisance type stuff and, and not a big deal, but you should get it fixed kind of thing. Uh, so you can search manufacturers out on there. So... You know, I encourage people to, to protect themselves and, and be aware of what you know what devices they have in their homes, what things do they have connected to their network, and make sure that they stay on top of of uh, of those updates. What is that
0: site called again? CVE details. C V E C V E Charlie yeah.
1: Victor Echo okay. Details.com.
0: Okay. okay. As far as the updates and all, I know some you know like Google Chrome pushes. Mm-hmm. Updates and is that Windows? Uh, yeah, OSHA's Windows. Been. Yeah, your computers. Is that I guess is that kind of the future? Is that should is that a good idea? I mean, because I think the problem is a lot of people forget to check to see if their router <laughs> or their modem is updated and. Uh, yeah, in the security
1: world, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Ideally, we would love for everything, every manufacturer to be able to automatically push updates to every device that's connected to the network to make sure that it's all secure. There's, there's two thoughts on that. And um, one is that, yes, the future is that every IoT device, every security camera, uh, every o- alarm panel or fire panel or anything that's connected to the network would be able to register itself with a with the manufacturer hmm. pull down a firmware update and update its firmware the the second school of thought though on that is kind of twofold one the a lot of times the end user is a little leery about components going out and just arbitrarily pulling information down that could be a security concern of theirs that if something does happen and this device is set to register itself, that it could be registering uh, sensitive information, you know, that it that it doesn't want. It could affect some sort of integration that they may have. So, you know, in the security world, we have components that are set up and this firmware works with this firmware and, and you know, maybe they have it all mated up. And uh, if that device goes out and updates itself, the mm-hmm. next component that's part of that solution may not be ready for that other systems update and it could break the the connection. And then the third part of that is uh, with UL listings and life safety and and things like that. When we talk about, you know, network, network connected devices, you know, if that device were to go out and pull a firmware, a lot of times when you initialize firmware updates, those devices have to reboot themselves. And if a device reboots itself and it doesn't come back online and this is all happening in an automated fashion, no, somebody might not actually recognize that it's done it and that it's offline. Uh, you know, there could be a compromised situation either in a security system, an access control system, a video system that you know somebody has to attend to. So, you know, one thing that we try to do for our customers is uh, we set up service plans where we might go out once a year, four times a year, and check over the system, do a general health check on it, um, update the firmware as necessary, so that. There's a technician on site. If if uh, you know, we, and we can control that upgrade, so we can we can identify uh, what the firmware levels are, what is at play here, is everything going to work together uh, when when we update everything, and then we can push those updates and verify that everything comes back online and is stable before we leave. So, you know, it's it's a nice thought to think, oh yeah, everything's just going to automatically mm-hmm. update itself, but it's a little scary on the other side too that. You know, things would automatically update, and what could potentially happen if they're not. So, again, there's a lot of it is um, just the importance of of understanding what you have. You know, does this device update itself automatically, or do I need to be worried about it? And if I need to be worried about it, what are my steps? What you know, what what is my control to make sure that I regularly check uh, with the manufacturer and and find uh, you know find those updates and apply them as necessary. So, there's no
0: perfect answer right now there's
1: no perfect answer yeah. uh, but uh, you know we, we definitely need to be aware of of the the things that are out there and, and be aware of the situation the world that we live in today yeah. and, and uh, that everything uh everything is connected and some of those things are a responsibility to to make sure
0: that we we stay on top of i think that's probably the difficult part is that so many things are becoming connected nowadays that you just you've just created yourself uh A huge list of, you know, I got to check, you know, the updates for this thing and that thing, and oh, I Mm -hmm. forgot about that one, and you know, I mean, yeah, it used to be just your computer. The chore list got a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. You just it used to be your computer. You checked for your update, and that was it. You know, now Mm -hmm. it's, you know, which reminds me, I need to go home and check my Wi-Fi router (laughs) to make sure it's up to date. I mean, that's you know, that's one thing that I always forget to do. You know.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, that's you see that a lot now. Uh, you know, with IT companies that are pushing uh, infrastructure into the cloud, and you know, for for server management and things like that, it makes it easier for them because the the, the data center that they push their infrastructure into is is typically on top of that. They're mm-hmm. they're monitoring on a large scale all of their components and the vulnerabilities and applying those patches. But as as the it the local it groups in these organizations are pushing that infrastructure into the cloud, they're almost backfilling their time with keeping up with all of the iot devices now that they have on site because they have hardware on site now that you can't really push into the cloud. So mm-hmm. you know they're, now they're where they were managing servers and things that are being pushed into the cloud. Now they're managing these these iot devices
0: and these okay. you know the the local uh, physical infrastructure. All right. Um, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we could probably talk for this for hours and get in more detail and dive into it, but I think this is a good kind of overall kind of covering cybersecurity, uh, you know, and security cameras and just Internet of Things. Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, thank, you. Right, thank you. All right. That's it for uh, today's podcast. Thank you. If you like today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and rate us on iTunes. You can also find our podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and other popular podcast players. Search for Corson Fire and Security Chat to find it. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next week for our next episode of the Corson Fire and Security Chat podcast. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is believed to be reliable, but Corson Fire and Security assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. It does not constitute professional advice. The listener of this podcast is responsible for verifying the information's accuracy from all available sources, including the product manufacturer. The authority of having jurisdiction should be contacted for code interpretations.